welcome to the Dine One Six, a food podcast about Sacramento. I'm your host, Max Connor, and I am rejoined this week by my co-host, Neil Little, who missed the last podcast with COVID. Neil, how you feeling, man? It's good to see you. I am doing a lot better than the last time we were working on a podcast. I'll tell you what, COVID got me. I was not prepared for the exhaustion and the cough and the cold. Now, I was fortunate to get it later that I had this much more watered down version, but uh, that was a doozy. How have you been? I'm doing well. Busy as always, but I have gotten to go out to eat a little bit more lately, which makes me happy. And I'm just really excited. We have a whole bunch of interviews lined up to finish out the year strong and getting to talk to some guests that I think the audience is really going to enjoy. Yeah, we've got a few fun things lined up for everyone coming up the rest of the year. We're actually just going over our calendar. But while you're listening today, we have a very fun guest on board. For those of you that have listened to our podcast before, it's been, you know, a little bit on the tamer side. I can tell you right now, this is not going to be one of those podcasts. Yeah, absolutely. Chris was a character. We had a blast talking to him. We had a good time in the studio. And he's a transplant from the East Coast. And Certainly, there's some more swear words in this episode than other episodes, and there's maybe one not-safe-for-work story in there. But what was really fun talking to Chris was just to hear about the craft of bartending as he sees it. And Chris, being a guy who you'll hear, you know, has taught bartending, worked as the head bartender at Red Rabbit back in the day when they opened and kind of helped put them on the map in their bar program, it was really fun to hear. And he's just all about the world of hospitality. He's all about the guest and how to educate the guests and get them excited about new spirits and new cocktails. He just loves talking to people. I mean, he is a bartender's bartender, right? And on the show, we talk to people who have a passion for what they do, whether it's a chef in a restaurant or an owner of a restaurant or someone producing olive oil, or we're going to have some wine producers coming up, cheesemongers. And Chris has that in spades when it comes to cocktails. This interview will not lack enthusiasm. I will tell you that. Absolutely not. Chris is the co-owner of Bodega, a new spot over in the pocket, as we mentioned, and the owner of Good Bottle, which is a podcast that you should check out, as well as a rare bottle shop in downtown. So I would recommend going and get your favorite drink, kick your feet up, and enjoy this podcast with us. Chris Sinclair, thank you so much for being here on the Dine One Six. It's great to have you. Uh, thanks for having me. I I love your name. <laughs> yeah, you your can't... name and the name of the podcast, by the way. <laughs> I mean, you know, I think starting with a bad pun is always a good start for the name of a podcast. I mean, I am a dad, so you've you've won me over. That's right. Me too. That's where as soon That's as great. I yeah, it's actually I have to give credit to my advisor at Sac State who I put out a bunch of perspective names to friends, and then he sent me an email back and was like. What about the Dine One Six? I was like, "Fuck, that's good. That's, that's it right there." And he was like, yeah, "You can have it." Isn't it infuriating when someone comes up with a far superior idea to any of your vastly inferior? Yes, ideas? especially when you spend hours thinking yeah. of them and create a list, and you're like, "This, it's just this is every possible." I mean, I was looking up different food words and like, you know, finding the what's the definition of the word pequant, which is like some weird <laughs> word that has to do with you know. So delicious, basically, and how can I fit that in? And then ultimately, change one, one letter. Yeah, and just <laughs> one friend sends something. It's like, what about this? And you're like, really? Yeah, that was just out like, there. Yeah, obviously. Uh, it's, uh, my um, my bottle shop, Good Bottle, uh, was named very much in that same way. We could not come up with a good name 
for the store and none of the names that we had discussed will ever be out in for public consumption because <laughs> uh, they were atrocious. And oh, was, give us one or two. No, no, that's not <laughs> happening. Um, and then I was talking to uh, Dave Siva mm. one night and I was like, yo, I think I'm going to open up a shop. And he's like, yo, I was talking about doing that as well. And we're going to call it good bottle. I was like, guess what I'm doing? <laughs> <laughs> He's like, that's fine. It's yours. You, there you can go. have it. That's awesome. So let's dive right into that. Uh, I know you as a bartender, but you are now the owner of the bottle shop and the bodega. So how did food and booze influence you as a young, well, hopefully not too young, but how did that influence you to get into the restaurant industry? It did influence, both influenced me very early on. Food influenced by keeping me alive as sustenance. That was a dickhead answer. Um, <laughs> Let's see. I okay. Everybody remembers Julia Child on like mm-hmm. PBS and everything like that. Julia Child's voice always drove me nuts as yeah. a child. But Jacques Pepin, on the other hand, I I just admired. I would get home from school, turn on PBS, watch Jacques Pepin in his like quaint little studio kitchen cooking up whatever the hell it was. I honestly couldn't even remember you. I was just like in awe. I never learned to cook until after college. I could not take care of myself. I went to college and I like sustained on hostess cupcakes and whatnot, man. Like that was, <laughs> that was not my deal. I think I had strong opinions about food growing up with like culturally relevant food in multiple places, but I was not a creator of said food. Mm. Uh, my grandfather, on the other hand though, always forced me to drink a little Dixie cup of Carlo Rossi at least once a week with dinner. So I had been consuming wine since I was like five or six years old. Wow. So what was food like then in the home growing up? What kind of role did it play for you guys other than sustenance? Was it family dinners? Was that, you know, home cooked meals? Was that kind of the standard or was your family Gra- not? Grandma cooked food? a lot. So my folks, I guess a little context, my folks split up when I was about nine years old, but I was always very close to my my mother's folks. I would go and stay with them pretty often on weekends and, and what have you. So when, when my folks split, they became even larger parts of my life because it was a like super tumultuous uh, divorce. Mm. And so they were like a, a little bit of a bedrock for me. And so my grandmother being like off the boat Italian would just cook and cook and cook. And her version of cooking was always delicious. And almost never fresh. It was always like, let's take this out of, you know, this can or out of this bag. And we're just going to zhuzh it up with a little bit of, you know, fresh basil, a little mozzarella. That's just, that's always how grandma cooked. She also made like banging desserts, man. Like she would make like miniature cream puffs. You guys are nodding your heads. I I hope listeners know what cream puffs are, man. Yeah. and, And she would make, for every... Just every celebratory occasion or family occasion, whatever, she would just make them. And she just got to the point where she would make me the first batch. She was like, here, you eat these while I make the rest of them. (laughs) And then you can have some of those too, but at least this way you're not eating the other batch that I'm trying to give to people. So she would always make me more. And that's why I'm fat. Here we go. (laughs) So you started with the Carlos Rossi. When did you start to fall in love with alcohol and booze more or less i was actually pretty booze adverse 
I was that high school kid who was like, I don't need alcohol. I like being high on life. <laughs> that fuckhead. Yeah. I just, I, I wasn't about it. And it wasn't until kind of senior year in high school and then getting into college, feeling the social pressure to consume in the collegiate atmosphere. Mm-hmm. But then, mo- like, that was pretty horrific. But then going home and, like, hanging out with longtime friends and, like, getting a handle of Tangeray and going to the beach and whatnot and, you know, just getting stupid drunk and having near-death experiences of friends passing out. That's really what warmed my heart. <laughs> That's what did it. <laughs> you know, because I still have, I still, I'm still very, very good friends with, uh, you know, my one buddy. Everybody's got that like gin story, right? That where they're like, oh, I can't, I can't do gin. It tastes like Christmas trees. Mm-hmm. I've been friends with a few of my friends for so long that like I was literally there when they developed that aversion. Gladly, I was also there when they came to the realization that they were wrong. Uh, because I gave them one of my cocktails, and I'm really good at what I do. So I'll just pat myself on the back. <laughs> Real quick, Neil. I say alcohol that you just can't even touch because you overdid it when you were 17, 18. It wasn't mind? 17, 18. It was, it was more the college years. But I hate to admit this, but <clears throat> Jaeger. Oh. I did a lot of Jaeger shots. <laughs> I, think I, I think that's pretty common. Yeah, yeah and I, I, can't, common. I can't smell Red Bull without thinking Jaeger mm-hmm, bomb yeah. anymore. It, they're just mm-hmm. a, a link together. You know where, you know where the Jaeger bomb was invented? No. It's in Truckee. Really? In the 90s, yeah. I know the guy who did it. <laughs> and so what was his thought process behind that? I mean, let's put a, an upper with a downer and boom. I know. I think you're giving way too much credit. <laughs> <laughs> I think I, it, it was Red Bull had just started to hit, and Jägermeister had been around for a long time. They were like, well... What does this taste okay with? Well, here you go. This is fine. Here, let's just sell this because we got a ton of it. Red Bull was, like, hitting the market so hard they were just, like, giving cases away to, like, restaurants and bars just, like, Mm -hmm. here, figure out something to do with it. And then all of a sudden this bar in Truckee just becomes the number one selling Red Bull account in the world. And to the point where they're, like, the CEO from Red Bull, like, hops on a helicopter flies out lands and's like what the fuck guys <laughs> what? <laughs> like, what is happening what are you doing that is making this work and they, they were like i don't know people like this thing and there we go yeah and the rest is history what, what about you what's your cringe make the hair on your next jaegers was definitely up there but I've, i mean i wouldn't have choose to drink this today anyway but lemon bacardi is like the first thing that pops in my mind is how, a night how in high oddly school. specific it is yeah but it was like it, lemon bacardi um it is it any lemon rum any lemon booze like would lemon vodka hit you there probably not it's just something very specific about white white rum and artificial lemon flavor that's just, quite artificial yeah that yep. just uh I, I remember like the Cruzan rum, all those sugary flavored rums coming out yeah. in the early 2000s. I do recall that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That were quickly followed by all the flavored. Well, I was at the same point in time, actually, as the flavored vodkas, right? Right. Yeah. 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 Because yeah. I remember I grew up in the Bay Area and that's, we'd take the train when they opened Pac Bell Park and I was a Giants fan. We'd take the train up there and drink, buy like a, you know, 24 ounce Gatorade and drink half of it on the way up and then fill it the rest of the way up with the same flavor. Oh, you, mean a, you mean a Faderade? Yeah, Faderade, like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we all know that. That's exactly right. I'm very accustomed. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Chris, what was your first job in the industry? What got you into 
restaurants and bars. I was actually just telling the story the other day. I don't remember the name of the restaurant, but it's in Cleveland Heights uh, in Ohio. It was this little spot. I'm not sure you'd call it a bistro. It was sort of like an all-day thing, and they served international fare as best as could be understood for the middle of fucking nowhere, Ohio. <laughs> but they, like, served milkshakes out of it. They had hummus on their menu, spelled like homos, uh, which always made me laugh because I'm 12. What else? I mean, they had burgers, Rubens, gyros, pitas. It was fucking weird but it was insanely popular and i think it's still there to this day mm. i had been working as a lifeguard that summer and the summer prior and one of my coworkers, as a lifeguard was like hey you want to like at night when we're not lifeguarding you want to go over here and do this thing and i was like yeah more money let's go and so i started off as a host and busser and it was great man i just i was immediately enthralled with the kitchen staff and how crude and upsetting they were. I was really angry about how little money I made. And then one of the milkshake girls gave me a blowjob in the, uh, in the walk-in <laughs> and I was addicted ever since. That was it. Now, how did you get into booze though? How did you get into the bar scene? Well, cause I realized that working in a kitchen was terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Not, was, not for you. No, no. I wanted to make the money. And, well, you know, honestly, I, for most of my life, I was an introvert. I am an introvert by nature. And I hated being able to, like, you know, go out with friends and watch them be able to, like, exist in a social setting. Mm. And I didn't have that skill set. I just, I didn't. I full-on wallflower, did not know how to start a conversation, as silly as that sounds. Didn't know how to, like, engage and, like, keep up a conversation or, like, interact with humanity in any social level. And so I forced myself into it. You know, I'd been serving for a few years, and I'd even been a barista before that, and even a little bit at that when I first started bartending. But that's really what pushed me into it. My first bar shift, though, I was living in Denver, and uh, I was working at a, uh, what do they call it, uh, some sort of pizza, um, artisanal pizza spot. That's what it is, okay. artisanal pizza which is the most bullshit name for a pizza <laughs> joint there is called Papa Kino's. And uh, I was the dishwasher and pizza delivery guy. One day the bartender, it was like just beer and wine, but the bartender called in sick and the, uh, the boss was similarly afflicted and he was like, Hey, you're 21. Right. And I was like two weeks in and I was like, yeah. And he was like, well, guess what you're doing? <laughs> He's like, I'm driving pizzas. <laughs> you're pouring beer. And that was like my first shift. And it was terrible, man. Like, we're talking pint glasses, like half full ahead. Right. Wine glasses completely poured to the top. He didn't give a shit. He was just like, <laughs> I'm not dealing with this. The customers were really kind. They were really nice. Made fun of me for fucking up, but then ultimately, like, told me how to fix things. And then, and then a after that, I moved to the Bay Area and I went to um, the San Francisco School of Bartending, which uh, unfortunately no longer exists. It was pivotal. It was rad. I, I really enjoyed bartending school. I learned a lot of skills that I still use from that school. And I, I actually ended up going back and teaching there and then being the lead instructor for like four years. Wow. So uh, I've, I've actually never heard of bartending school. Tell me a little bit more about that. I've heard of culinary school, but is it kind of the same concept? How long does it last? No, it's, it's nowhere near uh, the same concept. And oftentimes a lot of bartending schools are trash. 
Um, there's really only a handful around the country that are worthwhile. And that was one, but it just, it, it, I think the owner just was over it. Mm. He ran it for like 15 years and he's like, I'm, I'm good. It's two week course. You could do it or you could do it in one week doing doubles every day, or you could do it on the weekends, you know, if it fit your, your schedule or whatnot, you know, and go like, you know, spread it out over the course of like a month and a half. And it was just, you know, zero to hero. It was, here's what everything's called. Here's how you hold everything. Here's how you pour things. Here's how you use jigger. Here's how you open a bottle of wine. Here's how you operate in public. At our school, you know, we gave everybody like a wide breadth of knowledge and said, okay, but every bar you end up in is going to be entirely different. So it's important that you don't go in there pretending like you know anything. You just have like a, a base set of skills mm-hmm. that you, now you can access. And I mean, it was a really successful school. I mean, it launched my career. There are a lot of people around uh, around the country who have very, very important jobs in the in the industry who would be very angry at me for calling them out as being people who I taught and I know who went through that school as well. Yeah, it was a really good one. Uh, Did you learn like the history of alcohol and things like that? Or was it more the no, technicality? Of all, actual... all technique. Okay. All technique, a little bit of, I mean, barely even any theory. I mean, you didn't really learn a little bit about booze. Uh, mostly just like, here's some recipes. Here's how you, here's how you pour. Well, here's how you like build a ticket. Here's, you know, different ways to garnish mm-hmm. shit like that. And what years were you there? Uh, I don't know. My booze consumption has like removed all numbers from my brain along with like, you know, global pandemic. Um, <laughs> I, I, yeah. um, I want to say I was teaching there from 2007 until 2011. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Now, how have you seen the bar industry change over that time? Do you think they would still teach the same things there now or would it be a little bit different now? I think it would teach the same things. And I think it would be really beneficial for a lot of people to learn those same things. I, I, I've seen a lot of bartenders come up and being taught very specific things in very specific bars who have no business being behind, but being behind a bar. There's a lot of people out there, even bar managers who don't even know how to make a goddamn lemonade. You know, like they don't understand what it is to like make a drink. Where do you like to go for recipes and, and knowledge and things like that? What are, you, what are some of your go-to spots or cookbooks for lack of a better term? Recipes are easy. I can vomit out a recipe book for you right here, right now. That's not fun, at least for like original stuff. There's a whole lot. I mean, there's a whole lot of books with like classics and they're really important to know. Uh, I have a few friends who are just Rolodexes. Like they just, they have all this information put away. They know the year, they know the creator. I'm not that guy. But in terms of like inspiration, I travel. You got to travel. You got to get outside your own neighborhood. You got to, you got to like, see what other people are doing, the good, the bad, the ugly, the amazing, the incredible, the weird. I mean, that's the most inspirational shit to me. You know, it's like being able to like create an emotion in a glass is the hardest thing to do, you know, and you don't do that simply by going, okay, three quarters of this and one half of an ounce of that and a quarter ounce of that, right? Like it it really has to, you have to start at the end and, and work backwards. But things that help me do that, flavor the source, and um, I check out Camper English's blog. It's called uh, Alcademics. is a huge one. Uh, I mean, that this guy has had such a huge impact on my career. He's the guy who unlocked the mystery of clear ice. He's just brilliant. 
there's a handful of people in Northern California who still like kind of have that drive to create and curate. And for good reason, it's kind of a dying breed, uh, mostly because people grow up and they raise families and have to make money. And honestly, bartending doesn't like, it's not a six figure job really, right. you know, and California requires six figs to be able to sustain, you know? <laughs> and so the people who are doing it have found ways to maintain their passion as well as like make some money and do it. I'll tell you one of the, one of the most brilliant guys we are really, really lucky to have in terms of like just being genuine and being insanely good at crafting an experiential cocktail is a uh, Johnny Cod. He moved to town a few months ago and took over the bar program at Ella. And he is, he's a wizard, man. I mean, his cocktails are just something else. This fool moves into town. A mutual friend of ours goes to visit him at Ella, and he sends her with a boomerang. Uh, you guys know what a boomerang is? The TikTok thing? No, no, no. Okay. It's a, it's a, <laughs> I mean, yes. Uh, in, in the bar world, boomerang is like, Neil, you come, you come to my bar. And I'm like, hey, what are you doing tonight? And you're like, well, I'm jumping from here. I'm going here. I'm like, yo. Okay, so if you go over to this bar, I want you to take this shot from me over to this bartender over here. Cool, and they'll take care of you, right? And so it was like this fun little way of like engaging guests into sort of bar culture, and they feel they feel like it's something fun. And Anyway, so Johnny sends a shot over in like this little plastic ramekin, and it's got molecular pearls Mm-hmm. And it just did a fucking shot. And I, I drank it and I was so mad because it was hands down one of the best drinks I've had in Sacramento in like seven years. And it was just, it was out of a fucking ramekin and it was so delicious and so silly and just so much fun. And it's so hard to do, but I equate it to like grandma's birthday cake, right? Like you can know the recipe, you can make the drinks at home. But unless you have that like passion and that care and that love that goes into creating this thing, it's not going to taste the same. Yeah. It's corny, but we talk about it all the time. That I mean, love is the secret ingredient in all cooking or bartending for that matter. We've talked about a million times before. We always ask the question of people's favorite dish growing up. And then we always often talk about like, have you tried to make it as an adult? And like, if you try to make your favorite recipe as a kid, you can have the exact same thing. And it's, it's just not, it's not as good. But here's the question though. Is it, is it that, are you matching the nostalgia, right? Which you're probably not because you're making it. Right. Uh, or is it the fact that someone made it for you, right? It's like, yeah. it's like uh, somebody else making you a sandwich. Yeah. Just makes that sandwich taste 10 times better than any sandwich you could ever possibly make for yourself. It's the same bread, the same peanut butter, the same right. jelly, yeah. but it's just different. Just different. Yep. I, I grew up eating peanut butter and honey sandwiches. Mm-hmm. On like Wonder Bread, <laughs> Wonder White Bread, <laughs> uh, and my dad would always draw a happy face with the honey. Oh no way! Uh, and so by the time I got to it in my lunch, the honey had like soaked into the bread, and so I had a smiley face in the bread. That's amazing. I haven't thought about that in twenty plus years. Wow. That's awesome. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> so, what was your first favorite cocktail? Oh, I think. A dry martini. Gin or vodka? Gin. I think if we're talking like cocktail, culture cocktail, yeah. I mean, before that, it would be like a margarita or gin and tonic or something like that. And margarita still counts. It's like the most prolific drink in the world. But if you're talking about like 
something being made really, really well. Yeah. It was a martini. And it was the, the bartender was this salty old chick in, in the mission who I like I went in there, I was on a date, I was trying to act cool. I was like, Yeah, let me get a dirty martini made with Hendrix. She was like, All right, kid. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, Here here's the deal. Have you ever had like a real martini? I was like, Isn't that what I ordered? <laughs> She's like, No, you fucking didn't. She's like, Here's the deal. I'm gonna make you a drink. If you don't like it, I'll drink it and I'll make you what you want. If you do like it, we could talk. I was like, oh, all right, let's go. I drank it, and now I use those exact lines when I talk to customers myself. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like it's it's such a such a thing when a bartender comes at you with the right kind of no. The concept of, of, of the customer always being right is such bullshit and flawed. But, like, especially when it comes to, like, you're in my domain. This is what I do. This is where I live. Trust and, me. Yeah. Yeah, you, like read the room. Like you're you're in a steakhouse ordering a grilled cheese dog. Like <laughs> right, that's right. Like figure it out. You know what I mean? So like, you walk into my domain, you order something like this. Like sure, I'll give it to you, but like only maybe like you order a vodka soda. I I always had this thing at Rabbit where people would come in, and they'd order vodka soda. I make them two, make them three. They would not get the third or fourth one. Uh, it was it was just not allowed. People were like, all right, hey, can I have another? I'm like no, no, you can't. They're like, what the fuck, man? Why not? And I'm like, well, read the goddamn menu. Let me make something for you. Experience something in this life other than funny tasting, funny feelings, fizzy water. You know? Yeah. We could play with a lot of things back here. And that that's exactly what I experienced with that cocktail, you know? That woman really, she gave me olives on the side. She put a twist in it. She stirred it up with dry vermouth. All these things I had never seen before. I think I was like 22 it was incredible. Just a great martini. And I still love a, a good, well-made martini. It's, it's a really hard thing to do. There's this, this idea that the fewer ingredients that exist in a cocktail, the more people will argue about the right way to do it. Hmm. Versus, like, if there's, like, seven ingredients, the thing people mm-hmm. are like, yeah, 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 it's just seven ingredients. These things, it's fine. It doesn't matter. Right? But, like, you talk about an old-fashioned you talk about a Sazerac. You talk about a Martini. And everybody's got their own way of doing it. And it's like, nope, you got to do it this way and this way and this way because technique matters when you have, like, those few ingredients. Is there one spirit in particular that, like, you like to sort of convince, you know, something that people often say, I don't really like that or I'm not a fan of this or that, that you're like, hold on, well, let me try this one or try it in this cocktail? Yeah, all of them. Yeah. <laughs> all of them. Uh, like, I I. Because everybody's had that college experience where they're like, sure. I'm not doing this. Right. Or people were like, hey, I've never had a rum I liked. Or Mezcal's just not for me. I don't like that smokiness. Or I don't like scotch. Right? I'm like, nah. Do you like booze at all? Yeah, I like booze. Well, then you, you're going to like it. You just you got to have the right context and talk about it the right way and experience things the right way. And I, I've had a few failures in there where people were just like, nope, 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 nope. And I'm like, cool, I was wrong, dope, fine. Uh, but more often than not, like especially when you're talking about like rum, you're talking about mezcal. I mean, mezcal there's is the most terroir-driven spirit there is. Mm. It's the most like wine. So if you're intrigued by a sense of space, hand of the maker, hand of the creator, however you want to say it, right? Like the influence of land agriculture, wind, air, sea, fire, not fire. Mezcal's your thing, man. Like, it's it's incredible. 
same with rum. Like if there's a booze that you like there out, out there in the world, whether it's vodka, tequila, bourbon, I find you a rum that tastes like it. Right. So you like rum. Everybody likes rum. They just don't know it. Mm. You know, everybody's just so used to this idea of like Captain Morgan or Lemon Bacardi. Bacardi <laughs> right. I mean, there's a reason Bacardi is like one of the number one selling boozes in the world. And it, it crushes the rum category. Bacardi sells nine, like I want to say something like ninety-eight or ninety-five percent of all rum in the world. Wow, all rum in the world. There's a ton of rum in the yeah, world. Yeah, that's crazy. And they sell ninety-eight percent of it, ninety-five percent of it. It's insane, and there's a reason for it because it's actually good. It's delicious, even though people love to hate on it. I love to hate on it for a long time too. But yeah, there's really specific reasons why it's good, and so more people need to like learn about that, mm-hmm. and, like get introduced to those things, and you know, not just have it in rum and coke. I do like a rum and coke. <laughs> Tell us more about Bodega. We've been hearing about it. Have you? Recently, yeah. Well, I think because we talked to two chefs who live over in the pocket area in the last two days, so it's just the names popped up. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, well, that's great. Um, it's been a project for probably like nine months. We finally just got it open. Uh, or I think we're like actually like three weeks in now. Jesus. It's a brainchild of... Myself and one of my business partners, Rafael Jimenez Rivera, we're both from the East Coast. He is uh, Puerto Rican. I'm Italian. We both grew up in New York City and the East Coast. So uh, he grew up in Connecticut and uh, like upstate New York. I grew up in Jersey and New York City. The way I like to explain it to people is, you know, here in California, you go anywhere and find a taco, right? Like yeah. it's just, it, it's California, right? We have tacos fucking everywhere. What you're not doing, though, is you're not finding mofongo everywhere you go. You're not finding, like, Maduro plantains everywhere you go. And in New York, like, that's – you go to the bodega, your corner store, and you're finding, like, deep-fried bananas and plantains, and you you have those flavors mm-hmm. that are just prolific. It's everywhere. And so when this place emerged – And I'd had my eye on on it for a while, and Raph had had his eye on it for a while, and I didn't realize that. So I had clocked off of uh, work at Good Bottle, went over to visit him because he had been bartending over at uh, Odd Cookie for a little bit. And we just got to talking, just sort of, you know, drinking, talking, having fun. Be like, yo, I like this place. Yo, I like that place. Oh, you know what would be really cool is something like that over here. Just like shit bartenders and chefs do, you know. And he was like, you know what place I really like? And I was kind of happy that they're gone, but I – I'd like to get my hands on this place is uh, the Riverside sports bar. I was like, Oh shit. You know what? Me too. I love that. And uh, he was like, yeah, I, I tried calling the number on the window and I haven't gotten anything. And so I just, I jumped on my phone and texted my lawyer. I was like, Hey, you find something out about that. And she was like, really? She is the most risk adverse woman ever. Every time I come up to come to her with an idea, she's like, this is why this is terrible. You're an idiot. Don't do that. <laughs> Here's where you're going to fail, all these things. She's much nicer than I make her sound. And as soon as I told her, she was like, yep, I'm going to figure that out. Because <laughs> she lives like right around the corner. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so we got a hold of the landlords. It was pretty easy. And I'll tell you, you know, a lot of terrible things happened during the global pandemic that we were all continuously experiencing, uh, including the almost bankruptcy of Good Bottle. But being able to swoop up a restaurant for no money was a really nice part of that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was able to like literally just 
sign on the dotted line and take control over of a restaurant. I mean, I had to like put down a down payment and whatnot, but sure, I didn't have to spend several hundred thousand dollars on restaurant equipment and stuff like that. So. Yeah, yeah. And so we went in there, and uh, I told Raph, I was like, "Hey, like, in my experience, what do I know that's selling? And that's bourbon and agave spirits, mezcal, tequila." Like, those are just hot. So if I can sell those, we'll make money. And I was like, well, you know, we're in a suburban neighborhood. Like, let's do Tex-Mex. It's easy. It's a dunk. And he was like, well, uh, how do you feel about doing Puerto Rican food? I was like, yeah, fuck it. Let's go. And I was like, I, I don't really want to do specifically Puerto Rican. I think that'll, like, kind of freak people out. I was like, can we just, like, draw on the whole Caribbean? He was like, fuck yeah, let's go. And that was it. I mean, it was, like, it was that fast of a conversation. And I was like, I get to sell what I want. He gets to like have his food and I'm excited because I get those flavors back in my life a little bit. Yeah. Dope. And so the whole, whole idea was drawn on like a little bit of Caribbean, a little bit of like urban New York stylings and just kind of mishmash of all of that together into something that was like fun and comfortable still without like, we don't really, really careful to not make it a high class thing. You know, yeah. it's just some place that's clean and comfortable. Like it's still a neighborhood spot. What are some of the things you have on the menu? Uh, right now, oh, uh, we have mussels, mussels and sausage, which are kind of like your typical French mussels, anise, a little bit of cream, but just with like a little bit of a Caribbean twist on it. Um, we have tripletta, which is like hangover cure between two buns. It's just insanely good. Like this sandwich has no business being as delicious as it is. <laughs> It's unreal. I mean, it'll give you it'll give you the itis just just the sandwich itself. It's stupid. We have doubles, which is like a Trinidadian like hand dish. They look like tacos, but they're not tacos. Um, but it's the easiest way to explain it to Californians. Yeah, and they're just they're rad. And uh, I had a friend who's Trinidadian come in the other day, and she was like, "Yo, these are these are really good." But don't tell my mom I told you that. <laughs> All right, deal. Man, we have. Carneal, which is like Puerto Rican, like hunk of pork. Uh, we've got head-on prawns that's like on top of a bed of, of coconut and uh, purple sweet potato mash, which like I can eat by the bucket. Mm. It's unreal. That's all from our sous chef, Sarah. She knocked that one out of the park. Yeah. It's just a lot of fun, man. We like none of our food is what we would consider authentic. Like we stayed as far away from that concept as possible. Yeah. Just because, like, your grandma's authenticity and my grandma's authenticity are two totally different things, yet it's still our lived experiences. So right. we're not even trying that. You know, I mean, Rafael, he, he's Puerto Rican. He grew up in a Puerto Rican restaurant. His dad owned a Puerto Rican restaurant. I'm Italian. I grew up in New York City. And so my experience is, like, the mishmash of New York City and all the different bodegas, right? And so we, we didn't even try we just got excited about it and we want people to be excited about it too. You know, like come have fun with like dope food that's inspired by this. We're not trying to pretend like this is like, have a taste of the Caribbean. Yeah. Nah, dog. Like just come have good food, you know, and enjoy the atmosphere while you're at it. Yeah, you're keeping the creative canvas open. I appreciate that. Yeah. You know, there, there's other people who deserve that mantle of authenticity a lot more than we do. Mm -hmm. We're just good at our jobs. That's it. If we can help shine the light on other people who are doing the more authentic job, like we're all for it. 
That sounds like Sacramento to me too, right? That's what's the beauty of some of the food in Sacramento is it's not authentic, but it's just people who have all these different experiences or from all different parts of the world and end up in Sacramento. And then, yeah, say, I'm not going to do grandma's food, but I'm going to take all these influences and put a spin on it. And there's so many different types of people here that everyone's just like, oh, is it delicious? That's kind of the, you yeah, know, I would, the I would last say, word. I would say that Sacramento does that particularly well. I would say that there's a handful of people who've tried to do it and failed pretty spectacularly. Sure. And they usually turn around and blame the city on not being prepared for their food, right? Right. Exactly <laughs> so, right. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, ah, I'm too, I'm too intellectual for you. You can't handle it. You don't get what I'm doing yeah. here. You're like, nah, dog, you're just bad at your job, man. Like, <laughs> You're really bad at talking to the community. You do like you develop, you force a concept into a position that like it shouldn't be in. It's yeah. the wrong neighborhood, wrong people, wrong price point, wrong font on your menu. I don't know. Like, you know, but like so many things can go wrong. It's so easy for a restaurant to go wrong. Right. It's so unfair to like turn around and blame your community for you failing at your job. <laughs> I think that's one thing that was good between you and Emily and Roth. You have so much experience in the Sacramento area that you're not this Coming in blind, trying to force well, that we, upon people. You didn't even mention our fourth partner. Oh, who's, uh, I don't even know Matt, the fourth. Matt Brown. Oh, Matt Brown's chef. partner? Yeah. Oh, I just knew he was the chef. I love Matt Brown. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he's oh, a great no. Guy. He's, he's partner. He's my my homie, man. I fucking love that dude. I love that. Uh, he's hair. the only chef I was going to give partnership to. Mm-hmm. And it took it took some pulling of some teeth. Like, Matt's so trepidatious with everything that he does. He's like, well, I don't know, man. Like, I don't have the money to buy in. I was like, dog, I'm not asking you to buy in. I'm asking you to like emotionally buy in. <laughs> I want to give you more money for doing the stuff that you already do. Yeah. You're so good at it. Like, he's outstanding. He's hands down one of the like most unsung chefs in Sacramento. And yet everybody knows him. Yeah. I think all of a sudden we've got this rock star crew and he's like going to start getting a lot of this attention. I think he's very ready for it. I think he deserves it. And I think a lot of people mm-hmm. know that he deserves it. He's insanely talented. I feel like he's one of the, like the industry chefs that all the industry people know, but no one else really does. Yeah. Yeah, no, he's going to do great things there. I'm excited to hear that he's part of your group. Yeah, me too, man. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> Shall we dive into rapid fire? Yeah, let's do it. Oh, what's rapid fire? Oh, you ready for this? Oh, oh here we know. go. Let's find Put out. your seatbelt on. <laughs> what's your favorite cheap guilty pleasure, food-wise? String cheese. String cheese? Is it guilty? I don't know. I don't know. No, that's, like a, that's like a it. non-guilty cheap pleasure. Yeah. Guilty cheap food pleasure. None of them I feel bad about, but maybe it's because I don't have any shame. (laughs) Hot wings or something like that. Uh, I don't know. I don't feel bad about that. Sure. You don't have to feel bad about it, but it's the thing you know, like, this isn't the best thing for me. It's not expensive, but it's it's good. Oh, okay. Like like a drumstick ice cream. Or, oh, uh, yeah. or like, a Snickers ice cream bar. Yeah, oh. dog, I'll stab someone for the one of those. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. I literally just bought, my son had to go get blood drawn, and I was like, all right, you can go to the grocery store, and we'll pick a treat. And uh, he's five, and he was picking stuff. I was like, have you guys had drumsticks before? Because you should get the box of drumsticks. And yeah. now, the last five days, <laughs> all, <laughs> all I've heard drumsticks. from all three kids are <laughs> drumsticks. And they went to Grandma's house and was like, because they always go there to eat popsicles, and she buys popsicles. And they were like, "You need to buy drumsticks, Grandma Sharon, because that's that's all we care about." They've now. evolved. <laughs> yeah, good for them. Absolutely. It's amazing. Yeah. What is one bar you would recommend someone to go to in Sacramento? In Sacramento, out of all of them, it's a lot, man. Not just any of your favorite, but just one they should go to just to experience it. That like epitomizes Sacramento. Yeah, or maybe yeah. just a place you want to give some love to that maybe yeah. isn't one of the most obvious places. I, don't know. I would say Shady Lady, but. 
still pretty obvious. Uh, Torch Club. Mm. Okay. Yeah, go to Torch, man. I, I fucking love that place. Hear some good music. Yeah. 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 Sit down, get your. Is dirt. there any other place doing live music in Sacramento at this point, or is it only Torch Club? Shady Lady. Oh, do they do live? Dog, seven days a week. Do they no really? way. I, I had not, nobody realizes that. I have no clue. <laughs> seven days a week, man. They like they always have live music there. That's awesome. Every day of the week. What is that dish from childhood you wish you could go back in time and eat? Oh, Grandma's lasagna. Yeah. Or a cannellini. It's kind of the same, same, just different pasta forms, but. Yup. Oh, nah. Uh, no, I'll stay with it. <laughs> My best friend's mom all, uh, used to make biscuits. She still does. She's evolved. In, it, she no longer makes biscuits. Now she makes butter rolls. Um, but I grew up on her biscuits and her butter rolls. So all those. If I can have those at any point in time, I'm just in heaven. She still makes them too. So it's not like it's hard for me to get. I just need to fly to New Jersey to get them. <laughs> just that little aspect. <laughs> that, that little part. What's your favorite pizza in town? I'm going with Supreme Being. Okay. Uh, I mean, it is the most East Coast pizza. I mean, that's like it's like legit pizza, man. Mm. Californians don't know shit about pizza. They're fine with everything, <laughs> man. But I tell you, like you, you I need I need real stuff and Supreme is is where it's at. All right. You got slices the same size as your face like that's the only way to and do it's, it. And it's, like, good. Like, the dough is legit. The sauce is legit. The cheese is legit. Do you have a favorite food or beverage movie? Yes. What is it? <laughs> favorite favorite food movie is Chef. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I know it's it's pretty contemporary. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's still out there, man. It, like, it captures the whole gestalt and, like, just the passion drive you need to, like, be in this industry and like it shows how we're all just weirdos also you know um i have a handful like favorite bartenders but let's see uh like 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 cinematic bartenders woody harrelson is two of them (laughs) like the actor himself (laughs) is like two of them i like him in cheers sure and then uh there's this weird movie called bunraku where he also plays uh barkeep and he has this this moment where like the protagonist walks into his bar, he's like all tired and beat up and whatnot. And he's like, bartender, like, give me, give me whiskey. And and bartender's like, which whiskey? (laughs) He's like, I don't know, man, your favorite one. He's like, my favorite one. He goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Give me your favorite one. Pulls out a ladder, climbs to the (laughs) very top shelf. Of course. Grabs this like (laughs) gleaming bottle. That's like spotlit off the top shelf. Like, Takes it, uncorks this, like, crystal decanter, like, ever delicately pours, like, exactly, like, an ounce and a half. Drips a little bit on the bar top and, like, sweeps his finger and licks it, (laughs) reseals it, and, like, tells him in whatever movie denominations, he's like, 300, whatever. And the guy's like, oh, 300? And he's like, he said, my favorite. I was like, this is the most OG bartender Uh, shit ever. I was like, yep, yep, that's it. Chris Sinclair, thank you so much for being here on the 916. It was really fun to have you. Thanks for having me, and uh, thanks for having such an amazing name. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that was fun. And the fun continued for us about a week later when we popped into Bodega to check it out. And I'll tell you what. 
it is absolutely fantastic. The food that he talked about there, the sandwiches, the mussels, everything is outstanding. And they actually recently just got their liquor program approved. And so they now have their liquor license. And Chris is now serving his cocktails, which at the time of this recording, they were not doing. So I highly recommend everyone popping over there, as Max and I did. Max, how'd you enjoy it? Yeah, it was great. Over there in the pocket in this little strip mall, it's kind of unassuming from the outside. And then you get in there and you're just sort of transported to a different place. And the food was phenomenal. It was everything Chris said it was. We tried the tripletta sandwich. It was really, really good. Granted, I'm not the best critic. That's why this show is about people and food and not about us saying what's good and what's not. Because I'm a critic just like Homer Simpson when he was a food critic where he just writes about how everything is amazing and then the entire town starts to get fat because they're so enthusiastic about what he writes. That's kind of, (laughs) that's sort of my level of credential when it comes to being critical of food. I'll tell you what, you are my kind of critic. That is exactly what I want out of my critic. Show me where the best food is, and I will go search it out. All right, well, that's going to do it for this episode of the Dine One Six. If you like this episode, please make sure you subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. If you want to take time to write a review on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else, that would really help us out. Even more helpful, we're a local podcast. Just find the link in Apple Podcasts or even go to our website, Dine16.com, and just send it to friends and family in Sacramento. Make it easy for them. Have them listen if you think they'll enjoy it. You can follow us on Instagram. The handle is at Dine16. And if you've got questions, if you want to reach out to us, if you've got ideas for people we should interview or show topics, go ahead and shoot us an email. You can either email me at max at Dine16.com or neil at Dine16.com. That's two L's in Neil. The podcast is available wherever you can get podcasts as well as YouTube, so check it out there if that's the easiest place for you to listen. Our opening and closing theme music are by my brother-in-law, Mark Owens. The Dine One Six is a production of the Hear Me Now studio in Citrus Heights, California. Join us next time as we delve deep into the world of cheese. Oh my goodness, we got to eat some cheese in the studio. We had so much fun. I'm so excited to share that with you, so keep an eye on your podcast feed for that. And until then, as always, eat something you love with someone you love.